Welcome to today's show and we are very honored to have a guest who comes from Angola. Um, <laughs> somebody who's been in the liquor trade for a long, long time and he certainly knows how to sell. Welcome, Lugero de Cruz. Good morning, Olga, and uh, hello to everyone listening. Thanks for having me. Lugero, there are not many, many Angolan liquor salesmen in the Cape, are there? No, not uh, not any that I know. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, born there, but uh, couldn't necessarily say from there. <laughs> You're not from there. You've been in Cape Town for a long time. I've uh, been in Cape Town for 20 years now. Okay. Okay. And uh, have you still got family and relatives in, in Angola, or was that just where you happened to be born? No, I actually do. Uh, I was born there in 1970. And left probably when I was about five, you know, during the, the, the beginning of, of, uh, of the unrest there. And I've got family that have actually stayed throughout. And I've got some family that has left and actually gone back, even. Okay. And do so, you? Yeah, I've still got uncles and cousins there. Okay. And do you ever go back? I, I have been back. Uh, it's been a while uh, since I've been back. But yeah, I, I, I actually have been back. Okay. And are they, do you, have you ever been to explore the liquor business there, or is that? I, I haven't. I, I went back a few years um, ago in, in a different capacity to trade, but, but not in liquor at that point in time. Uh, different, uh, different commodities. Uh, the game, though, in Angola is completely different to, you know, to what you'll experience in, in South Africa. It's, uh, it's gone, let's say, to, to more primitive roots. Mm. You know, more direct direct trading. There's different people in different uh, departments that actually quite strictly control certain t- types of trade, and, and obviously liquor in particular is quite a tricky one to navigate over there. Controlled like most most other um, countries. Well, controlled in in a different <laughs> in a different way, of <laughs> in a different way, totally different way of control. <laughs> you know, there's certain people that will open the door for you. To be able to actually trade and to actually, you know, do business there, and okay. if you don't, uh, if you don't connect to the right doors, you know, good luck. It's not going to work. No, no, it's uh, it's quite a quite a tricky one. Yeah, you started your your own importing and distribution business um, a while ago together with a partner, but before you did that, you've obviously well experienced in in sales and marketing and. Um, the liquor business. Yeah, well, my experience with, with liquor, funny enough, started through advertising and through um, you know the film industry. So many years ago, I uh, I was heavily involved in the in the film industry in a capacity known as a chaperone. So a chaperone is essentially somebody who is dedicated to looking after all the foreign clients that come into the country to film. So directors, producers, actors, uh, you know, uh, various uh, people that, that work in the, in the film industry that, that come to South Africa as a, as a shooting destination for commercials or TV series or, you know, even um, films. And um, I um, worked on a campaign for Captain Morgan um, way back then. And, and who's... What was Captain Morgan? Was he a captain of a ship, or 
<laughs> Captain Morgan as in, as in, as in the run. Yeah. Uh, it was actually quite an interesting project because it was three different commercials actually that were shot uh, in different destinations. One of those actually took us to Namibia. And at the same time, uh, you know, Captain Morgan was then with, uh, with a completely le- different liquor group. Uh, if anybody remembers uh, Seagram Group. Yes. Uh, back then, used to import uh, Captain Morgan and amongst other brands. Uh, one of them being Corona. Uh, another one of them being uh, I'll Make a Tequila, Absolute Vodka. There's a number of brands, and obviously Seagram Gin itself. Mm. So I, I was hired by a local production company to look after client. By, by client, meaning the team from Seagram. So. Uh, the MD at the time, Maria Kikilis, who I ended up working for afterwards, and the brand managers, guys like Paul Raffaele that used to look after Glenn Grant, uh, Clinton Joseph used to look after um, Captain Morgan, uh, and you know a few of the guys on the team. So I was tasked to looking after these guys, uh, and that basically means getting them to the different sets on time. And, uh, you know, obviously make, making sure that they are looked after, they've got their teas and coffees and, and that they are well accommodated during, during the shooting process. So that, that was my introduction to, to the guys in the trade. And obviously, you know, uh, what followed from there were, were friendships that then developed into actual, you know, actually me getting involved in the liquor trade itself. Yeah, I met Marais when he was importing Corona in his, I think he, he'd started his own business and we did, we tried to sell Corona in Durban, which must be like 10 or 15 years ago. And he always teased me that he sold more Corona at Ultra Liquors in, in Seapoint than, he sold more, <laughs> more, more Corona there than I could sell in the whole province. Yeah, Maria went on to, after the, the, the let's, let's call the, the breakup of Seagram, mm. Maria went on to keep the Corona brand uh, as an independent. And I actually ended up working directly with Maria okay. uh, on Corona only, and that was back in 2003. Okay, so it is nearly 15. Yeah, uh, and, and at that time I actually did spend a fair amount of time in Durban. Uh, once I discovered that Durban... Uh, has no winter to speak of, and when the sideways rain is falling in Cape Town, it's 26, 27 degrees, and guys are walking around in bodies in, in Durban. I started heading that way to the Cape Town because <laughs> I used to come to Durban okay. to sell Corona. Yeah. So we probably met you on the beach somewhere. Probably somewhere along the line. There used to be a beach barn on North Beach uh, at one point that actually I was actually able to, to promote and actually sell on the beach, which is obviously... You know, something we can't do in Cape Town. Was it on the sand? On the actual sand, yeah. It used to be, it was called, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, the, the beach bar, you know, something generic like that. Yeah. And uh, the guys who had the license were actually allowed to trade on the actual sand. And uh, I used to come along and, and, and sell buckets of Corona to, to people lounging on the, on the beach. I remember that, uh, but I think it was a temporary bar which they set up for probably for the Christmas season or something. Um, it, it may have been, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the guys owned other establishments as well. Across the road, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's got a special license to run this bar, yeah. Yeah, I wish and it apart would. Apart from that, 
Apart from that, I used to I used to travel up and down uh, Florida Road. Uh, there was a place called Takazulu, which I think mm. still exists now. We used to do quite a lot of Corona activity there. Uh, there used to be a place called De La Sol. Uh, used to do a lot of Corona activity there as well back in the day. And even further down, uh, what was down Florida Road, sort of where Cubana and stuff is now, there were other places um, that, uh, oh, there was a society yes. uh, uh, that Athos used to run. Athos, of course, now in Cape Town with the athletic club and social. Uh, yeah, I used to do business with him there too as well. Uh, it was a fantastic venue. Yeah, I, I remember selling uh, or supplying all those venues with Red Bull in those days. Yeah, Red Bull was really big in those days, actually. I, I remember uh, pre, uh, pre-Durban July, the one year, probably about 2005 or six, sitting uh, with the, the Red Bull team at De La Sol, and all that there was on the table was Corona and Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> well, and obviously, whatever vodka at the time, which would have been most likely absolute, uh, that was quite popular with, you know, with Red Bull. Yeah, and and if I remember correctly, a bottle, a case of Red Bull and a case of Corona were about the same price. So let, let, let's just say between myself and the Red Bull guys, there was there was a fair amount of trade exchange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were almost identical in price. Yeah. Yeah, and and obviously a very very difficult brand to launch in uh, in a market like South Africa. So, I mean. If you think of of the price of Red Bull, it kind of was unique at the time. But to sell a beer at that price, um, especially at volume, and not not I'm not talking about single bottles like you're no, earning us. Absolutely, but you know Red Bull, Red Bull, and and, and uh, James C. Malnick at the time were the importers of Red Bull. Partnered up with a you know with a, a guy that really knocked it out the park, that uh, Dan and Cook. Mm. Who, who, funny enough, went on to work with Marais exactly. uh, at Corona after my time uh, with Marais at Corona. So, yeah, uh, Dan and his team really, really got tucked in and they, they did a fantastic job of building that brand in this country. Yeah, that Red Bull, yeah, Dan and did a good job. And it somehow it, did, it didn't quite work out with with the Corona when he, when he joined Marais. Uh, look, I, I'm not too familiar with, with how things uh, went on in there. We obviously work in, 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 a, in a different style. I'm, I'm very much an on-trade, hands-on uh, activity type of guy. Uh, Dannon, from what I understood, has always been very, very strong distribution networks, mm. uh, you know, to get product uh, uh, you know, to, to more and more uh, territory, which he certainly did uh, achieve. Uh, so we, we had very different working styles, if I can, if I can mm. say, in terms, of, in terms of brand building. Yeah, what I mean is, I think uh, Corona was, it was in the time when Corona and all the Belgian companies started to merge, and uh, they probably lost the agency. Yeah, well, the, after that, yeah, after, after the, the, the Dan and Cook and Miraculous partnership, it was a few years down the line that when the, all the mergers happened, and, and unfortunately the brand then obviously, um, you know, made its way to its new home, which is, you know, with the SAB group now. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite a different corona to what it was back in the early 2000s when I worked on it. Yeah, and uh, the, the easiest way to sell corona 
they would think, or a big company like that seems to be about discounting? Uh, well, you know, when, when you're a giant and you're able to absorb and, and take some of the punch, then, then it is possible because, you know, what you're looking for is you're looking for the, for, for the, for the volume, and the volume is what's going to give you the return. Mm. Uh, in my day, it certainly was, you know, was nothing like that. You know, it was every case that was, that, that was sold needed to, to provide a return. These days, so much marketing money has gone into that brand, uh, you know, that they have to try and, and cap it. Having said that, a Corona back then, uh, was selling in, in a, in a, in a bar like Caprice, for example, for about 18, 20 rand. Mm. It's now 50 bucks for a Corona pretty much anywhere you go. Yeah. So you, you would think that SAP would absorb a little bit more of that. Uh, but you know, it, it's quite a big ask, uh, you know, 50 rand for a, for a beer. But that's a normal price in Cape Town for any beer. Cape Town, yeah. Well, <laughs> well craft beers, craft beers have, have followed suit. Obviously, we understand the challenges of, of you know, bringing craft and, you know, the cost being a little bit tighter. So it's a little bit more understandable. But a lot of the guys have also gone for, you know, for bigger bottles. I mean, you could, you could pay that much for a craft beer, 440 moles instead of a Corona for 330 moles, yeah. Mm. And now I see they've launched some, some miniature bottles as well. You know, uh, I was actually quite pleased to see that product just the other day. I met with a, client of mine out in Eden on the Bay, uh, uh, coincidentally El Barrio, which was uh, voted just this year the best Mexican restaurant in Cape Town, uh, and they brought it out to show me, and I had access to Coronita back in my day, in the early 2000s at Corona, as a promotional item only. Oh. So we brought in a fair amount of it, and we, we basically used it for stock deals and for promotions. And uh, it's, it's a really nice uh, addition from a marketing point of view, and also a really good gateway for those who are not familiar with, with the product. You know, it's a, it's a 200 ml. Um, you know, it's basically, what, three or four sips and it's done, and it stays cold. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's very clever of them to have actually brought that product in. Yeah, all Portuguese like 200 ml beers. I don't understand <laughs> it. Yeah, no, we're not, we're not talking about Portuguese <laughs> right now. I, I, I love that super bucket. I love that super bucket, that 200 ml with the, with the rip-off top. I love that. Yeah, it is cute, eh? Yeah, it's very clever. Uh, so one thing that I've learned about you in is that you don't, unlike most liquor reps who like to sell the the easy products or the... You know, always look for the. And I'm not sure how to express this, but you certainly you seem to want to like to make life difficult. You choose the most expensive, the most difficult things to sell, and uh, and I ask myself why do, why do you do that? <laughs> well, you know, there's a saying that if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. Uh, and I've never been, um, I've never been one to, to follow, and I've never been the one with, let's call it a sheep mentality. I've never really been the type of guy that does things uh, the same way that other people do. Uh, and I've never, you know, I've never liked to, to be, you know, a stereotype. Mm. And I've always liked to kind of rock the boat and stir things. Uh, you know, 
And and I think that with Corona, because my my life in business started with Corona, which of course was and still is an expensive product to sell, but it's also quite a niche product and it has its own place. And I think what I enjoy is enjoy finding the gaps and finding the places where those more expensive, uh, but also niche and premium products uh, belong. And I, I think I enjoy the challenge of um, you know being more precise about the way you do things. For example, if you sell you know a wine or a beer that uh, is mass produced by a large company and it pretty much has no choice but has to be everywhere, it has to be available in every restaurant, in every pub, and so on. Um, you know, let's face it, what you've got to do, you've got to go out and do calls and make sure that as many people as possible, uh, you know, taking the product. The route I've chosen is one that is more specific. So products have a specific place where they should be. And I enjoy finding those places and finding the people who will appreciate that these products are different and that they have a, a different existence, you know, within the trade. And, uh, you know, it started with Corona and it's, uh, it's uh, followed through with a couple of other products that I've worked on until, you know, COVID was started with myself and Douglas. And, uh, you know, now we find ourselves with exceptional quality products uh, that are in obviously in the premium, super premium category. But again, uh, the, what remains is the fact that we look for specific places where these play, where these products are an actual fit. You know, so they're not for everyone, and they don't they don't belong in every outlet. Yeah, that I mean that does explain it a little bit, but it still seems uh, you you choose exceptionally hard products to sell. Um, the, when when you first came onto my radar or your company, I really um, liked your Kashasha brand. I loved the branding. I loved the the whole look of those bottles. Tell us a little bit about how you found that brand and how you you went about bringing it into South Africa. So Kashasha is um, as. May, some people may know, others don't know, is the national spirit of Brazil. Uh, it is, uh, you know, a product that is, uh, you know, it, it's everywhere in that country, as big as a country as it is. It's said that there's over 5,000 brands of cachaça uh, that are produced in Brazil, you know, mass-produced and, and otherwise. Um, so my first experience with cachaça in, in, in South Africa or in, in the trade, uh, particularly in Cape Town, was when I worked for a short while with a company called Liquidity, who mm. brings in who brings in Germana Cachaça from Brazil. Also, you know, good quality products. And obviously, Cachaça is, for those who also don't know, is the spirit that is made or that is used to make a Caipirinha, which is one of the simplest, nicest, easy drinking, uh, you know, addictive, if I could call that, uh, uh, cocktails that can ever be made and um, you know always enjoy the carpeting and, and enjoyed you know sharing it with, uh, with, with people and um, after having, my, having had my experience with, with, with German it's kind of something that stuck with me that there wasn't enough of the, the cachaça and carpeting thing going on in South Africa so when Doug and I started out um, and um, you know, once we had landed our first, our first uh, brand, 
you know, which is our beaky out of Scotland, we, we both kind of felt that cachaça was something that we really wanted to put back out there and that we felt it was something that could do really well if it was marketed uh, correctly. So, um, interestingly enough, I have family in Brazil, uh, some of the family that was actually also in Angola, cousins that were born born there, um, and I immediately started putting my feelers out because uh, you know it was an easy way to you know to to find a contact for for a brand, and um, ironically enough, ended up uh, meeting up with uh, with Luis at at Cachaça Batulha through a friend who had travelled to Brazil and had done had done business with him, and. Uh, we kind of zoned in on the the higher quality, uh, lower quantity uh, brands. We didn't want to go for a mass-produced uh, product. We wanted to find something that was going to be uh, of really good quality, and we wanted to deal, uh, you know, with with a personal with a personal brand. So we basically travelled to Brazil, and having already had made contact with two or three different brands from this side. We still went out and we went to go visit a couple of distilleries that we had identified that we thought would fit what, what we were looking for. But not only that, uh, Doug actually booked our trip around a Cachaça festival that happens in, in Brazil every year. It's been running for about 17 or 18 years now. Uh, and it is in the town of Paraty, which is about five hours from uh, Rio. And uh, there's, there's this massive festival, and it's all about cachaça. So we actually booked our trip specifically to take in that event so that we could experience as many different brands as we possibly could, and also to experience the culture of cachaça uh, and, you know, and, and what, it's, what cachaça is about. And we wanted to bring that back to South Africa and try and communicate as much of that as possible. Sure. Um, and, yeah, so, so, so that, was, that was the mission. Share, share a little bit about the culture of cachaça. I mean, for me, uh, uh, these drinks are often so much about the culture and of the the occasion where you drink them. So, well, you know, with, with Brazil having the tropical weather that, that it has, it's all about refreshing drinks. Yeah. And the Caipirinha, I think because uh, of the abundance of, of sugarcane in that country and the abundance of... Uh, you know, the, the Jiquitiba wood, which is obviously native to, to Brazil, uh, which is, you know, which is what the barrels um, that have the, the spirit are made from. I think just because everything, uh, you know, sort of is there and combine that with tropical weather and want a refreshing drink, I think that that's most likely what made it, um, you know, so popular. You can go anywhere in Brazil and you can order a caipirinha and it will be made from one of thousands of different brands. Mm. So just really, really easy. Uh, it's served on the beach. I mean, in Rio, we saw guys that walk around with just a cooler box over, the, you know, hanging off their shoulder. And in there, they'll have fresh lettuce and they'll have uh, crushed ice. And they'll make you one, you know, in 30 seconds. Mm. And I think just because of the fact that a drink like that is so at home, in a country like Brazil, is the reason for for its you know for its popularity, and we've certainly found that that communicating that same experience down here, I mean especially in Cape Town and, and Durban, as a matter of fact, uh, can't exclude Durban because Durban mm. has uh, has, re- has received 
Akashasa really, really well. And I think that because of the similarity in, in, in weather uh, in Durban with most of Brazil, it's probably the reason why it's such a good fit. Obviously, Cape Town up and down the coast during summertime, again, you know, just an absolute, absolute fit. Mm. So how do we change uh, a typical outdoor bar in Durban from from black label courts to drinking caipirinhas? Well, uh, the thing is, you you don't need to change. You need to just add on. Yeah. Uh, you know, a uh, 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 bar that is that is serving ice cold beer can just as easily serve um, an ice cold caipirinha. What we've also found is that. Even if the even if the guys are not the ones going for the caipirinha as a first choice, certainly the ladies are. Okay. Uh, not to say that this drink is made for for men or women; it's, it's equally for both. But, but what I'm saying is that it's a, it's a nice addition to anything that you're already doing because it's such a simple drink to make. Because it's three ingredients, it's it's not difficult to you know to just add it to your to your current offering. Hmm. Maybe just tell us how to make one. Super simple. You've got fresh limes. You've got uh, one ingredient that we like to use. We like to use caster sugar. The reason for it is because it's pretty, uh, it's quite fine, so it dissolves quite quickly. Uh, you can use sugarcane syrup as well, uh, which we've started using more and more now, just because it's easy to deal with. Um, and literally, all you need is uh, uh, half a lime. You cut that up in quarters, you throw in your sugar, you muddle those together. So the caipirinha is all about a sweet and sour taste. So okay. the sweetness of the sugar and the, and the, the bitterness or the, you know, the sour taste of the, uh, of the fresh lime muddled in together and then topped up with crushed ice and a double shot of cachaça and it's just basically stirred in. Now, if you've ever, if I've ever been on a sales call where I was impressed, it's it's going out into the trade with Lugera. Um, You have just got you take no shortcuts when you're doing a sales presentation. It's it, I have to say that um, in in my 25 years in the trade, um, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. But I've I've certainly learned from you. And uh, I, I must say, I get some compliments when, when I do presentations as well. Um, going from the Kashasha, and your first product was uh, even even more difficult to sell, and that was a Scottish <laughs> range of spirits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do they they retail for over 500? You're if looking I'm, at, depending on which retailer you're purchasing from, a bottle of Arbiki will probably be anything between 499 and, say, Five forty-nine. Yeah, uh, we have found it a little bit higher than that in some places. Unfortunately, retail is, is quite difficult to to get the guys to cap prices, uh, you know, at, a, at an acceptable level. But uh, but certainly over the five hundred rand mark. Having said that, uh, if you look at some of the local uh, products and, and, and gin in particular, there are some that are touching those prices. Yeah. Uh, and that and that's without the challenge of, of importing at a much higher currency than ours. Yeah. You know, plus paying import duties and shipping costs and all the rest of it. So I, I think that we're not that badly priced okay. I have to compare myself across you know across the board. And how do you how do you tackle launching a brand like that? I, I think what you were saying earlier about you know the way that we communicate and the way that we present these brands, I think is is kind of where 
where the tipping point is. So RBC out of Scotland is, you know, uh, a family of, uh, you know, fourth generation farmers who are in a very, very unique position where they own this vast amount of farmland where they grow all of the ingredients and are in a position to actually make their own base spirit from scratch. They don't buy it from outside. So the story actually begins there. And, and that is what you start by communicating is what is special about this particular product and why would it cost X amount? But it's not, it's not only about the cost. It's also about uh, people understanding what it is that they're consuming. And Arbiki is special because it is uh, produced from scratch with fully traceable ingredients. You're talking about something as simple as juniper, which we know is, is a key uh, element in, in producing gin. They grow their own juniper. Most gin producers have to import juniper from you know different parts of the world. Eastern Europe uh, in particular produces a lot of it. So a lot of guys have to buy it and they have to import it. And, and you know, something as simple as that, um, Arbiki has their own because they grow it on their own farmland. So once you start explaining those details to, to people, then it, it triggers a different part of their, of their experience in terms of what they're consuming. Mm. And is it, is, it so, is it selling in the on-trade, or do you find it sells more in the off-trade? Both, um, definitely the on-trade in Cape Town in particular, you know, where we are based, we've targeted the high-end, uh, the high-end, uh, bars, cocktail bars, hotels, restaurants even, uh, where people, uh, will appreciate, uh, the quality of the spirit. The reason why we've targeted, uh, the places we have is because you're dealing with people that are creators and innovators in mm. terms of, 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 of what drinks are today. The cocktail scene today is on such a high that when you go in and you present a product to these guys, you've got to know what you're selling. And you've got to have something interesting enough and exceptional enough for them to pay attention. You know, guys are not just using, you know, any product that they can get hold of. The guys are looking for the best that they, that they possibly can uh, include in, in, in their fantastic, uh, you know, recipes. So uh, it, was a, it was a natural sort of step to take to, to uh, you know, to engage with those people in particular because of the, of the, the quality of products that, we, that we're selling. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's, you're talking about chefs and... Um, 100%. Mm. I mean, the guys in Scotland, for example, that are Biki, have had a lot of engagement with some of the top chefs in that country yeah. that have incorporated some of those products in some of their dishes. And because they are so strict about the ingredients that they use on the plate, they've also become increasingly strict about the ingredients that are poured, uh, you know. So uh, that's something that the, that that uh, the Sterling brothers in, in Scotland have been quite quite active um, on. Yeah. So in, to put stuff into, or to put it into perspective for me here in, in KZN, where we don't have a massive cocktail scene, we've got a little bit of something happening at Lifestyle with uh, with the Alchemy Bar and. Um, a little bit and engaged. Lucky Shaker, yeah. And Lucky Shaker. So it's it's yeah. really for us we can't it's difficult to relate to that sort of level of um 
of sophistication, if I may say so. Um, but but you don't stop there. You still take it a notch further with your rum. I mean, yes. Is is rum working? Is it? Well, let let me put it this way: the the phrase I like to use is that the noise is there. The noise is there. Yes. The noise is there. There's there's there, there's definitely. You know, it's it's like a rumor. You know, when the rumors get started, it's kind of being whispered about, and people are talking, and someone's passing a comment. So, rum, in my opinion, at the moment is is there, and it's it's kind of like a bubble that's about to burst. I I, I you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, um, I think um, a lot of these cocktail guys, in particular, are paying attention to the dark spirits once again. And uh, the resurgence of good quality rums. So when we're talking about, you know, uh, a lot of people saying, oh, you know, rum is the next thing. I don't believe, to be honest, that it's going to take over from gin. I think it will have a coexistence, but I don't, I don't believe it's going to take over. I mean, gin is quite a phenomenon. Still is, you know, a few years mm. running now, and it's still growing. There's still new new brands coming out. I don't think rum will ever compete with that. Uh, just one, because it's a perception thing, you know, people, um, you know, they think of rum as a pirate's drink and, you know, mixing it with Coke and all that sort of stuff. But the resurgence of rum now, or the rebirth of rum, uh, people uh, are often mistaken that it's about starting to drink rum again. It's not about that. It's about starting to drink better quality rum. Mm. So like the way that our Biki is produced and the Cachaca from Brazil, which is also, you know, it's a family-owned business, they own the sugarcane field, still built on the farm. So everything is fully traceable and everything is done, uh, you know, in, in, in the old-fashioned way, so to speak. So rum, uh, the same thing. So uh, my partner, Douglas, he's originally from the States, uh, from Chicago, and um, he travels there every year and, you know, found Richland rum, uh, came across it, made contact with the guys, and what we found there is again a family that owns uh, vast sugarcane fields. Um, uh, Eric Bonk, uh, who was originally from from Rotterdam in, in you know in the Netherlands, uh, grew up uh, around rum. His grandfather used to make rum, and he always wanted to to make rum. So you know, when he was in a, in a financial position to to do so, he bought um, sugarcane fields and built a distillery and started making rum, you know, in small quantities. It was so well received, and this is going back to 1999, so 20 years this year, Richland Rum is, is, is celebrating its 20th anniversary. Started making it, and people realized, you know, people started coming back and saying, you know, this is really good, and you should, you should get out in the trade. And that's when, you know, the, the operation went to the next level. And it's, it's all about, again, uh, quality ingredients, full traceability. Everything is done uh, in a non-rushed manner. Everything is done... Uh, you know, uh, quality versus quantity once again. And, uh, you know, Doug went out there, he visited um, Eric and, and, and Karen on the farm, and he really loved what he saw. And we, you know, we felt that it was a great addition to what we were doing, you know, making our life even more difficult. <laughs> yeah. As you like, as you like to call it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so let's add another difficult to sell product to our portfolio. <laughs> Uh, I've been following you closely and watching what you're doing. So you're not only, I mean, you can't rely on the trade to sell these products for you. You actually go out to events and you, you create 
opportunities where you have your mobile bars and you actually sell the product. Is, Very is, much is, so. Very is that the so. only way to survive or is it the only way we, to launch the brand? We, we are strong believers in the fact that um, one needs to take product to the people. You need to give people an opportunity to taste product. Mm. It's fantastic to put lots of marketing money behind campaigns uh, on social media and otherwise, you know, above the line and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, you know, we're a small startup company. It's just the two of us. You know, we don't have the, the capital and the means that, you know, the big companies have in order to do that. And also, we bring into the market products that are completely unknown. People have never heard of these brands before. So, so the challenge is double. One is in, you know, price and the type of products that they are, and, and two is that they're completely unknown. So the only way to get people to know your product is to take take these products to them. So one of the one of the things that we set out to do was to try and engage with consumers at that level as much as possible, uh, and not rely too much on, on just you know uh, marketing campaigns. Yes, it's a two pronged approach. We we do. Uh, a lot of social media, uh, but nothing beats speaking to people directly about the products and letting them taste and explaining to them what it is that they actually consume and what, and what they're spending their money on. And how many uh, outlets would you think there are for for brands like yours in South Africa? Is it is it a is it twenty bottle stores? Is it a hundred bottle stores? Or is it is it more on the the on trade, it's, it's more the twenty versus the hundred bottle stores. Yeah. Uh, so, so if you take for example um, the the type of liquor stores that we are stocked in, be it uh, Cape Town, Durban, or Joburg, so you've got more your speciality boutique style liquor stores. Mm. So Norman Goodfellas has done an amazing job in 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 their retail offering. Uh, you know, it's like walking into a boutique when you go to to these stores. Yeah. Um, the barkeeper here in Cape Town has done a phenomenal job, the most beautiful liquor store, you know, that you can think of. So they, those guys tend to focus more on also the niche products and, and, the, and the premium products. Mm. So we've found that those sort of uh, outlets, the boutique-style liquor stores, are more what our products fit into because the clientele that purchases from those sort of stores are looking for the top-quality products. Um, so we, we are not the, the, you know, the mass chain liquor store, uh, kind of product. The cachaça could possibly be because that, that is actually transcending a little bit more. Uh, one, because of price point and two, obviously because of its, of its growing popularity. Um, and then on the entree, the exact same thing as I, as I was saying earlier, your speciality cocktail bars that, that are interested in using top quality products and different products for that matter. We've had a fair amount of success in some of the, the, the top hotels um, uh, around the country as well, and obviously particularly in Cape Town. So we engage with, you know, the Silo, the One and Only, some of the Radisons, uh, etc. You know, just to name a few, where the offering for the type of clientele that um, you know that uh, come to their bars and stay at those hotels is also of of uh, you know of a premium level. So these are people that. Uh, are looking for top quality products. They they they're looking for a different offering, and also let's you know let's be realistic. Are also on the top end uh, in terms of uh, in terms of spend. 
So our products find a natural home in those environments. Okay. And uh, so which is there a category that you've found that isn't well represented where there's an opportunity for you to, to bring in something new? Well, Kashasa was definitely one of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, without question. The, the next thing that we are actually moving on to and, and are already, you know, sort of uh, trading in is the interesting spirit of mezcal. Mm-hmm. So currently we are we are distributing a uh, an imported mezcal. Uh, we are also on the verge of launching uh, a brand that we're bringing in ourselves. Uh, that that's a done deal. It's literally um, you know paperwork and shipping time, and, and you know and, and it will arrive uh, just in time for season. So mezcal is really interesting because the South African public has only really ever been exposed to tequila. Yeah, and. Um, Unfortunately, uh, you know, not exactly the, you know, the best uh, quality uh, in terms of, of tequila. Even though we do have some very good tequilas in the country now, that wasn't the case, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, you know, the patrons of the world have come in, brands like Herradura or around, uh, Fortaleza is around, you know, you know, good tequilas. And what I found, and, and funny enough, Back in, in the early 2000s, working with Liquidity, Liquidity actually bought in Patron initially yeah. before, before it was at RGBC and, and has now gone, gone over to DGB with the Bacardi Group. Um, is that it was difficult to explain to people that they don't need to shoot it. So if you're talking about a, a 50 rand shot of tequila versus a 20 rand shot of tequila, you, you've got to know that there's a reason for that price difference and the reason is quality. Uh, so that's always been uh, a challenge. So these products, you know, the good quality tequilas that have come into the country uh, in, in the more recent years, have actually found their way again into the premium outlets, into the good cocktail bars where it's being appreciated for the good quality spirit that it is, and then being used as an ingredient in a, co- in a cocktail and not necessarily just being done as tequila on its own. Um, so, and, and this is where mezcal is a lot more interesting because... It's 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 from the same family. It's also made from you know from uh, the agave plant. Mm. Um, quite different, obviously. Tequila, for those who don't know, specifically made from the blue agave plant, whereas mezcal can be made from a variety of other different agave plants. Um, and those different plants have different uh, maturity times. So um, and then obviously the process of you know of of making. Tequila versus mezcal is is, uh, is a little bit different, and it had it adds mezcal just adds different layers and different flavors uh, that are you know that are more of an experience a palate than, than tequila is. Yeah, very very complex pr- uh, product. I've got uh, I've been trying to I've been watching YouTube videos about mezcal and sipping the the product and really trying to get enthusiastic about it, but I found it quite difficult to to enjoy. It's very difficult to explain to people that they're going to sip mezcal mm. at room temperature, uh, which is something that I attempted back uh, when I was at Liquidity, when Patron first came in. I became a fan immediately, you know, especially the, the, the aged, you know, your Anejo and your Reposado. Mm you know, good quality products, trying to explain to people that you can actually sip on it like a good whiskey or like a good cognac is quite a, is quite a challenge. Uh, what is interesting about 
mezcal is that you get, obviously on the chart, you get also different levels of, of what you're experiencing. For example, the, the one product that we, that we are distributing at the, mo- at the moment, which is mezcal amores, is quite smoky. Yeah. Um, versus, for example, the product that we're bringing in, which is not as smoky, it's more tequila-like. So more people are probably likely to be okay with one type of mezcal, but not so okay with the different types of mezcal. I, for example, love the smokiness of, of the Amores. Mm. A lot of people just can't deal with it at all, not even on the nose, let alone on the palate. Yeah. Having said that, though, once you use it as an ingredient for a cocktail, you're talking a different game. Or once you use it to make a classic mezcal margarita, again, you're talking a different game. I've had people taste the mezcal, they don't really like it, and then I make them one particular recipe of margarita that I've, you know, that I've come up with and love it. You know, so it's all about how you use the spirit. And that's why the top end cocktail places are so important in introducing these spirits to, to people who normally would not be consuming them. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and if bottle stores want to experiment a little bit with these super premium brands, um, are you available to to help them? Yes, of course. You know, we we we, we do tastings uh, whenever we are asked to, or you know, we we offer those up at at, at any point in time. In fact, um, for those who are in Cape Town and are familiar with the with the barkeeper liquor store that I mentioned earlier, they've got this fantastic setup where they've got a twelve seater table inside the liquor store, and normal uh, normal. Monday to Friday scenario, you walk in and you see all different kinds of, of spirits up on that table. Some of them are open and available for tasting, predominantly gins uh, at this point in time. But Carla also does a thing where there's an opportunity to take up that space and actually invite people around the table and do full tastings on different spirits with them. I've, I've done that before uh, with the, with the Arbiki spirits. We're about to do it again now. Um, you know, August being uh, Women's Month, we're focusing quite a little bit, um, in particular in our Kirsty's Gin, which is obviously made and uh, is the invention of Kirsty Black, who is the master distiller at, at Arbiki. Um, so environments like that are, are perfect to inviting people around and to letting them experience these products. So not all liquor stores offer that. I mean, you know, you can go to any liquor store probably on a Friday afternoon and a Saturday morning, and there will always be some sort of a tasting going on, be it wine or beer or any kind of spirit. So there are opportunities for people to walk into a liquor store and actually taste before they purchase. Mm. You know, there's more and more of that happening. And it's up to the brands to actually engage with those outlets to make that, you know, to make that possible. Yeah. So let, let's talk rum for a, a minute. The, is there a tribe of rum drinkers or rum fanatics uh, in the country, or is there a way to reach the, those people? There, there's going to be a way to reach people, uh, you know, uh, one way or one way or another. And I, and I think first and foremost is to is to break through the barrier that uh, rums are being produced in. Uh, you know, in, in a different way now uh, versus, you know, the rubs that we are using mm. that need to pretty much be washed down, you know, with Coke or any other or any other mixer. 
uh, I think, and we've certainly experienced this now with, with Richland, just because of the way that it's made and because it's so pure and so smooth, is that people, um, if they prepare to just take that leap, have the tasting, um, they'll be pleasantly surprised. And I'm not talking about Richland rum only. There are other rums that are out there that are on the market that have, that have been around and available for a long time that are of, of similar, um, high quality, except people uh, have maybe got a mental block on, on rum itself just because of the way that rum has been you know, characterized over the years. Mm. Uh, and, but, I, and I think it, it is very much a one-on-one thing. Mm. But there's no there's no rum bars popping up all over like the gin bars did. Not not as such. What we have seen, like I said earlier, is we've seen some of the some of the, 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 the top cocktail bars certainly have started increasing their, their brown spirits and rum mm. in particular okay. into their offering and started using those in cocktails as a means of introducing rum to people. So um, the, the that is what is currently happening. Rum bars as such, Cape Town doesn't have an actual rum bar yet uh, that we know of. Uh, it's obviously something we're keeping our, our ear to the ground on and mm. encouraging people to, you know, to, to invest more into. But I, I'm pretty sure that as the, the popularity of rum grows, so will you know, the idea of having you know, proper rum bars. You know, something as basic as a classic daiquiri. You know, if you speak to people about a daiquiri, they look at you and all they see is a slush puppy machine, you know, churning mm. out, you know, a frozen margarita or a frozen, you know, strawberry daiquiri. And most people don't even know what a, what a real, you know, classic daiquiri is. It's made with rum, good virgin rum. You know, the, the, um, the Richland uh, Virgin Coastal, which is a, a rum which is rested for only 60 days in a new American oak barrel with a little bit of a yellow color to it. It's funky and delicious and, and, you know, and great for making a classic daiquiri. So we found a drink like that, for example, is a great way to, to introduce people that don't actually realize that that is actually made originally with rum. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and various other tiki drinks obviously that can be made. Tiki, I think, is probably going to be the way to introduce rum uh, back to people. Yeah, I, I, people like people like tiki drinks. People like cocktails. You know, like you know the tropical cocktails with the umbrellas and mm. all that sort of stuff. Those are the tiki drinks, and rum is going to sneak into those, and people are going to start drinking better quality rum without even knowing that they're doing so. Yeah. So I think I was probably asking the wrong thing, but in 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 the states, tiki bars are 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 the big thing, and I haven't seen much, at least in that, you know, being categorized as tiki bars. The one rum bar I found is in in Linden, in Joburg. It's called Brian Lara Rum Eatery. And every I've time, heard of that, yes. Every time I go there, it seems to be closed. It's, it's close to the Craft Beer Library, which is a beautiful okay. beer place in, in Linden, which certainly deserves a mention. But... Yeah, I've looked out for for Brian Laura, but maybe if next time you're in Joburg, you can you can look that up. Actually, you know what, Doug is actually in Joburg this whole week. I'm actually gonna when we when we uh, when we off the call, I'm actually gonna get hold of of Doug and just remind him of that as well. There's mm. a place called Royale, also on Jansmatz. 
Okay. Uh, which is also which has also got quite a quite a, a good rum offering now. They've taken in some of our Richland rums. They've taken in some of the Cachaca, which of course you know falls under the rum category. You know, it's uh, also made from sugarcane. So uh, they are a good place to go and experience a variety of rums as well. Mm. Um, and and while you while we're talking about rum, where does one merchandise uh, Cachaca in the in the rum are? Cachaca. Yeah, Kashasa. If you go to a liquor store, it will be near where the rums are. Mm. Uh, so, according to the Department of Agriculture in, in South Africa, it, it falls under the rum category. Obviously, the, with the origin being sugarcane, mm. it's the most natural place for it for it to be placed. So, it will always be next to next to where the rums are. Okay. Well, Adira, it's been very. Lots of lessons, lots of interesting facts, and you keep choosing the hard path, and, <laughs> and I certainly wish you good luck <laughs> with, you. With, with launching that. Um, and if people want to reach out to you, COVID distributors, have you, are you? Uh, you can go to our Facebook and Instagram pages, COVID.Africa, C-O-V-E-R-T, COVID. Uh, dot Africa on Instagram and uh, Facebook, or COVID, uh, obviously www.covid.africa. Dot Africa, by the way, is a new brand. Uh, we often have people ask, oh, is it Africa.coza, Africa.com? No, it's actually just dot Africa. Mm-hmm. So it's a recent domain. Not many people are using it, uh, and that's where you'll find it. You'll find all our information. You'll find all our stories. Links to the to the various uh, websites uh, to all of our brands, uh, you know, in the different countries where they come from. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, quite a, quite active on social media, so easy to find us. And uh, on on first Thursday down in Cape Town somewhere. First Thursday, I'm happy to announce. Uh, uh, just had a conversation again recently with the guys at uh, Burger and Lobster on Bree Street. We will be uh, having a pipe eating a bar out on the streets, on the pavement, every first Thursday, starting from uh, September, actually. From September right through till next year. So that sounds so like the perfect place. To to... Perfect place. <laughs> yeah. Perfect place. Perfect place. Hopefully a couple of others down on Bree Street as well. Yeah. But uh, with Burger Lobster has been confirmed. So every first Thursday... We, we will have a cup eating at our outside. Okay, I'll try and make an attempt to meet you there as well. So, yeah, the last time you came through, we actually had a cancellation. Yeah, the uh, weather was terrible. Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that's back up and running. And that, that's the one that's going to be for sure where you're going to be able to find us, but there will, there will be others as well. Uh, the Radisson down by the waterfront, the Radisson Blue uh, down by the waterfront, we, we're going to have, they have a, this awesome thing called brunch. Uh, which is every single Saturday, normally from about 12 to 3. Uh, the whole of last season, we did a cup of bar for them um, out on the deck. We're going to be doing it again this year. So you'll find us there as well. And then obviously, you know, various other things will be will be popping up um, as plans progress for season. So when does the weather get better in Cape Town? Well, you know, you know, on the 1st of September, everyone in Cape Town wakes up and goes, it's spring. Uh, okay. <laughs> it could be pouring with rain. <laughs> <laughs> it could be pouring with rain, but to us it's it's spring and, and, and it's on and it's and season is here and we must and we must drink you know and we must drink <laughs> <God knows. laughs> Lovely. 
Lovely talking to you, Lugera. Cool. And uh, see you. Thanks, Olga. We'll see you in Cape Town soon. Thanks to you and to all the listeners. And yes, if anybody's got any questions about it, any of these difficult to sell products, reach out to us on on COVID. Yeah, even if it's just for the entertainment of watching Lugera sell his expensive <laughs> product. <laughs> Anyone is welcome anytime when I'm doing a tasting or a presentation. <laughs> anyone is welcome to come and to come and sit and, and, and observe. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Olga. Cheers. That was Lugero de Cruz from Covert Distributors in Cape Town. And what a wonderful storyteller. Thanks, Lugero. To listen to these podcasts, please don't listen on your desktop subscribe and listen to your iphone or your android phone it makes it so much easier listen while you're waiting in the bank in a queue at home affairs or in the car thanks for joining us and this episode was brought to you by drinkspace a network for professionals and business owners in the beverage industry Thanks again for joining us today and we will speak to each other soon.